It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. All right, four Today's Locked On Reds. I have with me a special guest. He is brand new to the Locked On Reds pantheon. I should have thought of a better word of that. But his his name is Jason Williams. You may have read his work in the Cincinnati Enquirer. He is the political columnist. He also has a great podcast called That's So Cincinnati. And I'm very happy to have him on today's show. Jason, how are you doing, sir? Jeffrey, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Uh, you forgot to mention that you and I are—we uh, also team up uh, on 700 WLW, man. That uh, you know, as you, you as producer and me as uh, as Saturday night hosts uh, occasionally, and uh, we have some fun. Usually, well, two times in a row now, we've had some fun in that last half hour, 11:30 to, to midnight, where you and I have just been uh, spitballing on different topics. So. Well, and I, so, I threw that on our bio as well. I figured that uh, you know it was popular enough. It was widespread. It's been taking <laughs> the city by storm. Jib jab with Jeff and Jason is what we're referring to. I'm sure you all have heard of. I was going to let you. I was going to let you bring up the name because you're the. I, I'm going to throw you right under the bus and and let everyone know that you named it. So I did. I did name it and. That was the first time that Jason and I worked together. We've worked together, like you said, we've uh, done two shows together. And uh, yep. the first time you let me pick the name, and you have regretted it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Before you jumped into politics in the city of Cincinnati, you were all about some sports writing and reporting. And let's just yeah. go through that. Like, first off, uh, my, I mean, my first question has always been, I always am intrigued uh, to talk to people who worked for the post because I don't really know that much about it and stuff. What was it like uh, writing sports for the post back in the day? Well, so the post was really known as uh it had a really great sports section and you go back to um, even before I was there, uh, Jay Mariotti who went on to the Chicago Sun-Times and ESPN. Um, Paul Doherty uh, was there when he first came to Cincinnati. Probably a lot of people don't realize this, but when he first came to Cincinnati, he was a columnist for the Post. Then he came over to the Inquirer. And just so many talented people that came through there. Todd Jones, who went on uh, to the Columbus Dispatch. Todd Archer, who covered the Bengals, who went on to, uh, I believe it was the Dallas Morning News. Now he's uh, with ESPN. Um, Jeff Shellman, who went on to uh, ultimately the Minneapolis Star Tribune covering colleges, and he's now uh, you know, out of the business and has a successful career in uh, corporate communications. Um, shoot, you know, Lonnie Wheeler, and I can't, I can never forget this, Bill Cook, who was someone who was very influential in my career, who 
maybe listeners know because he was a longtime sports writer for the Post and Inquirer. Um, but, you know, those, and I'm, I'm probably missing some people, uh, but those are, um, you know, so it was really this, you know, place where, you know, someone once called it like the best grad school I never had. So you get <laughs> some younger reporters in there. And for me, I went to the University of Cincinnati. Like I didn't go to a journalism school, but it was a great, a great lab for me. So I literally, I oh, how could I forget this? This is how the story went. It was Joe Posnanski. Uh, the great Joe Posnanski was a columnist there, went on to Kansas City Star and SI, and I don't even know where he's at now. Um, but so I ran into him at a UC football game. I was working uh, for this UC news record just covering Bearcats football. I think at the time I was maybe a sophomore or junior in college in the mid nineties. And I, you know, introduced myself to him and I asked him like, Hey, do you think there's any internships at the post or opportunities to get in? He's like, yeah, there probably is. And he gave me the number of, of uh, the sports there at the time, Mark Tomasic, who was just a great guy and um, has moved. I think he's maybe retired now. He went on to work in Florida. Um, so I called him up. He brought me in. I sat in his office, and he's like, okay, you can start taking scores, uh, high school scores, every Friday night. And I loved it, and it was great. And then they, it was you know, such a short staff that uh, they needed people to go out and cover high school games or when you know, some of these you know, non-traditional sports things would come to town. I remember covering like a figure skating, a U.S. figure skating uh, qualifier or something, U.S. Bank Arena. And so I loved it. And I, you know, I grew up, my mom is a, she's retired now, but she was an English teacher and a reading specialist. And so she sort of instilled that love of writing in, uh, you know, in me. And this was, this was great. Um, so I just kept going and I, whatever they offered, I would, in terms of hours, I would take it. And so I just kept working and then ultimately um, another sports there came in, Mike Bass, or he was actually, Mike Bass was there as an enterprise reporter and he became uh, the sports editor. And he's like, Hey, uh, I have this opportunity to create an internship uh, through the Scripps Howard foundation. Hey, would you be interested in it? So applying? So I applied and got it. And uh, that was the summer of, man, that was summer of 96. And then, or no, that was the summer of 98 because the previous year I had, applied for an internship all over the country and I got one call back and I thought he needs one call. It was from the Birmingham news and that was a fall internship. And so their fall internship is set up because football is king down there and they need everybody that can every, every, all, all hands on deck when it comes to football. So I got to go down there and like, they would fly me around to be the sidebar guy on, um, you know, uh, Auburn football. I remember going to LSU. I know that back then that was, uh, looking at like LSU, that was Jerry DiNardo and the SEC landscape as a whole was completely different. I mean, some folks nowadays, and it's funny because, you know, to step outside the, the whole, uh, world of baseball for a minute, I'm, I, I love all sports. I'm a equal opportunity sports consumer, but when it comes to college football, and I know that especially around this area, saying these words is a little sacrilegious, but I enjoy SEC football. Yeah. Talking to an SEC football fan nowadays, if you'd have said, yeah, back then Tennessee was the absolute powerhouse. They were amazing. That's like complete 180 from what it is now. And, and, and Auburn, uh, they were an afterthought at least that season, I think back in 1998, so it's interesting because 
and, and and honestly, we, I mean, we didn't intersect at the time, but like you have lived down in Alabama for a little bit. I lived down yeah. in Alabama for a little bit as well. And that's one of the subjects we've talked about on Jib Jab with Jeff and Jason is uh, <laughs> living down in the South. But and I and why I say LSU is because it's the only time my eight years, well, really probably ten years, if you factor in my freelancing and interning uh, of being a sports writer, where I ever uh, was really super close to plugging my ears, and I was at Death Valley at LSU. Um, <laughs> It was so freaking loud. It was, I, I mean, I was right on the verge of, of plugging my ears. That's how bad it was. And I was in the clo- press box with the window closed. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so I went on from there and did, uh, you know, but then uh, the opportunity came up in St. Paul and uh, my sports editor who uh, was the sports editor back who hired me for that original post internship was now a sports editor in St. Paul. And see so what I'm talking about is, you know, it's all about relationships and, and really in any, any industry and certainly journalism. And then, Hey, do you want to come up here and be the backup twins writer? And so I went up there and, you know, and then it ultimately led to being on the twins piece. I think I spent one season as the backup writer. And then um, the the last two seasons I was there, uh, I was the uh, main, main beat writer on the, on the twins. And it's a really competitive market where you have the St. Paul Pioneer press, and uh, the Minneapolis Star Tribune and both uh, covered the twins really well and committed resources to it. And, you know, that was a primo beat in, in, in the in the Twin Cities. Certainly football is, is king there with the Vikings, but um, the twins are, are right there at number two and really big sports market. Ho- hockey is obviously a huge thing. High school hockey is a big deal there. Um, so I did that for three years. And when it comes to being the beat reporter for a baseball team, describe what that feeling is like when you go into the locker room and you know you're about to ask a question to a player. Like you're going up to a dude that yeah. just went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and you're about to talk to him. What's that feel like? Well, that's that's a great question. And let me, if I can take this back to, and these are the guys I didn't mention, but it certainly taught me a lot on oh, yeah. that uh, when I was when I was freelancing or when I was like a score taker and doing some freelance things at the post back in, uh, 19, that's, I first started there in 1996 and then 97. Then I got the internship in 98, but I happened to work with two great baseball writers, uh, in those early times, uh, with Jeff Horgan, who, uh, in the second inning, Mark, Marty, Marty Brown would always introduce him as the quintessential ladies, man, Jeff Horgan, <laughs> who was just a great guy, a Boston guy. He's now out of the business. I believe he lives in Milwaukee. Um, but was a great baseball writer, understood it. But I remember going down there um, in that summer of 98 and you know, he, he really took me under his wing. And he, and I, I mean, I, I remember asking so many questions and him never, getting uh you know frustrated but always really cool about it and just you know asking like hey who who are the who are the people you you should approach who are the people you should maybe uh, approach you know delicately who are the people maybe you shouldn't approach on certain days and so he would take me through and we would talk about um you know you know how you would approach guys in in the clubhouse before the game who was off limits you you know you don't talk to the starting pitcher that day uh, you know, so I, I was fortunate enough to kind of learn some of those 
rules of the clubhouse while I was interning and, um, you know, just working part-time there. And then, and then when I came back to the post in 2000, Tony Jackson, who's now also out of the business, but was also a great baseball writer, um, was the post beat writer then. And Marty would always introduce him as my good friend. And we hope yours, Tony Jackson. And Tony was a much more, uh, he was a harder, he had a harder edge to him in terms of covering baseball. He had some enemies because he wrote things. Uh, he would write borderline commentary, um, but you, you could get away with that uh, at the Cincinnati Post because we were trying to differentiate ourselves uh, from the morning paper and try to give people something else to read. And, and, you know, so he would be much more analytical when he didn't have the deadline pressures either. Right. And so I learned a lot of those things from him that, you know, covering the game itself didn't, um, it, it, it's not what people want. They were already watching it on TV or listening to it on radio, but you had to be different. And so, and, and to be different, you had to have relationships and you had to be able to willing to hang out in the clubhouse and wait out someone. Whereas the morning paper at the time, you know, the, the, the deadlines were, you know, 11 o'clock at night, uh, you know, or generally 10 30, 11 o'clock. You, back then you had like three or four editions in the Cincinnati Enquirer and the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Um, and so I learned kind of my way around the clubhouse from Jeff Horrigan and Tony Jackson, who I, if you were to ask me back then, like even, even if the business was going to be the way it is and all the cuts and all the changes, like who were the first two people uh, that are the last two people who would leave the business? I would have said those two guys, like they just, you know, baseball is such a different animal that they just lived it. And so many of those guys do like they, they, they live it. And, you know, there's so few, few guys who, um, you know, can really strike that balance covering the baseball beat. I think one person uh, who does a great job, I mean, he's a great dad is, uh, is my great friend, uh, Mark Sheldon. I'm tearing up a little bit because he's, uh, you know, just, you know, I just think about him and what he's uh, gone through and in terms of trying to balance out being a father and being a beat writer and, um, but going back to your original question, sorry, I'm, I'm, you know, but I think all these no, things, the cool. context of them are, so I, I knew how to walk into a clubhouse and I knew the rules of, uh, you know, that who to go up to and who to, you know, who not to go up to on, you know, maybe on certain days, but certainly even the guys who were, uh, you know, were known as not the friendliest, you, you got to do it because, um, you know, they're, they're key parts of the team oftentimes. And so it's, it's so much about source building and relationship building and, and, and being there every day. And that's the beauty of baseball is that, uh, you know, the Baseball Writers Association uh, of America has, you know, a great relationship with Major League Baseball and getting access. And so, yeah, I don't know how the NFL writers do it, but, you know, baseball you get every day you can, I don't know what the rules are going into this season, if we're going to have a season or not, but I think it typically was, you know, the clubhouse would open three and a half hours uh, before game time and you could, uh, you know, be in there for a while. Then you could go out and watch batting practice, approach certain people. 
um, at the batting cage or behind the batting cage, the manager or the general manager or scouts or, you know, people like that, or, you know, team personnel, uh, the traveling secretary, like, you know, and so you develop, you know, all these people really kind of coexist together for, you know, six, seven, eight months a year when you factor in spring training. And so you develop this, Hey, Hey, Oh yeah. Hey, I know Jason. I know Mark. I know C Trent. Um, because I see him every day and I talk to him every day. And so it becomes like a, um, you know, it's a professional relationship. Um, you know, that line between objective journalists and, and baseball player or baseball manager, but these are people that, you know, you're, you're talking to every day. And so you learn very quickly, uh, what people's personalities are like and when to approach someone and when not to. and um, you know, who's, who's, you know, not liked in the clubhouse and who's loved in the clubhouse. And, you know, those things, um, you know, typically you learn those things pretty quickly if you're good at source building and if you're, you know, you know good at being open to talking to people. And I mean, I, I think you really have to be as a reporter and a columnist that this, this is a business of, uh, you know, I always say, like, I'm only as good as my sources. And I mean, that's so true. Like, if I don't have sources who, um, you know, I'm I'm there, I'm there to cover them. I'm there to write about them. They're not there to, for me. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have sources providing me with, you know, behind the scenes or in-depth content, and it, this goes for anything, political writing and sports writing, news writing, whatever, like, then... I mean, what's there? There's no point in being there. Right. Hope you're enjoying this extra long episode with Jason Williams here in just a minute. We're going to talk about Tory Hunter. We're going to talk about some memories he had covering Tory Hunter and Johan Santana, and even a funny story about Kyle Loesch, a obscure former Red. But before we get into all that, I have a question for you. I want to ask you: When is the last time you ordered delivery? Look, I know we're all stuck in our houses right now and we can't go out and sit at our favorite restaurants or really do a lot of the things that we're used to doing, but Postmates has the answer for your craving of your favorite restaurant. Just order delivery through Postmates. Today, I have an offer for you. Download the Postmates app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get free delivery up to $100 for the first seven days. That's Postmates with promo code locked on. They have a great lineup of restaurants too. I usually go for some Jersey Mike's, maybe even throw in some Skyline. A lot of good stuff on there though. Probably got your favorite restaurant as well. So check out Postmates through the Postmates app and make sure you enter the promo code locked on for free delivery your first seven days of up to $100. Next time you're hungry or just craving your favorite restaurant, Postmate it. And and, and that's an interesting. What what uh, I was curious. What year were you there in Minnesota? What years? So I was. Uh, I covered the Twins um, from in 2004, 05, 06, and it was a nice run for the Twins. Uh, yeah, they got to the playoffs. I think two of those three seasons. It's funny being a Reds fan, you know, through the 2000s, especially the first half of the 2000s, the 
they they were fun to watch, but they weren't super good. And when the playoffs happened, you kind of had to find other teams. And the Twins were definitely one of my other teams, even though they didn't get that postseason success like they were hoping for. But that was like when you were there was like the heyday of Johan Santana and Tori Hunter. Yep. Like those guys were on fire at that point. And what was it like working with those guys? Oh man, I'm glad you're asking me that because I'm getting goosebumps thinking about Tori. Like, yeah, he's uh he's absolutely maybe the my most favorite person i've ever covered politics sports business whatever um i actually when i got back into the business in 2012 i was actually a business reporter for the inquirer originally as covering transportation and jobs then i worked my way over to politics and into being being a columnist um but tory hunter it's it, we share the same i mean it's just weird to think like we share the exact same birthday july 18th 1975 and we just had a you know we connected and he was always so gracious with the media and i'll tell you there were times you know even when he was in a bad mood like you know there were certain people he would let he would talk to or he would still let you come up to him and approach him <laughs> and you know he was gracious enough with me to do that <laughs> funny side story like one of one of you know so i i didn't have a dog and um uh, when I lived in Minnesota, cause you're covering baseball, like you just, as a single person, like having a dog is a nightmare. Like right. you just can't have it. But one thing, like when I left covering baseball, the first thing I did when I moved back to Cincinnati is I, I got a dog and there was a Labrador rescue place out in Eastgate. And, um, yeah, so I, uh, adopted a chocolate lab and I'm tearing up cause I had to put them down, uh, around Thanksgiving of what, 2018. Oh. So a year and a half ago. What was his name? Um, but I named I named him Hunter after Tory Hunter, <laughs> nice. and, and and it was weird because like I'm not like I'm a, I'm a very fair-minded, um, aggressive uh, reporter. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm all I'm all about the truth. I'm all about you know no like you know no agendas other than I'm I'm going to be there and I'm going to be fair and I'm going to tell the truth. Right. And uh, but you know so I don't get you know, these, these people, you know, there was a columnist in, in Minnesota, Tom Powers, who's since retired, like he's this crusty Bostonian, but he'd been there a long time. He turns to me one day in the press box and he says to me, and, and it's these little lessons that you learn. And it's funny covering baseball um, that carry you through. And I think about this often. He turns to me in his little Boston accent, kind of gruff. And he goes, you know, these, these people we cover, they're not your friends. They're not your friends. And, and it was like, none of the, I had never given any the impression that they were my friends. I don't hang out with them. I don't like, you know, but it was almost like he felt like he needed to tell the young reporter that. So he tells me that it stood with me to this day, like that the people we do cover, they're not your friends. And, and, but baseball is a little different. And because you spend so much time, um, it, it certainly, there are people that you get closer to and Tori Hunter and I, like we, we, I got close to Tori, like just in the clubhouse and around the baseball, like I never went out to dinner with him or, you know, went, went to his house or anything like that. Um, but you know, so I, I, I came back to Cincinnati and I, I got a lab and I named him Hunter and I just thought, I was, you know, it was the name it fit. And, um, but I don't know, it didn't fit. It just, I, I just loved the name. And I thought it was a way to like, because Tori was sort of my all time favorite, uh, person to cover that it was sort of my way of, uh, kind of a nod to him. In my own mind, you know, like I, I, I never, 
I never told him like I named my dog Hunter or anything <laughs> like that, but, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, he, he was, he was great. And, um, yeah, Johan, Johan Santana was great. And the twins and Ron Gardenhire is now the, the uh, manager and, and Detroit, uh, was, was awesome. Just a real guy, regular guy. Um, I'm trying to think who else was on that team, Jock Jones and, oh yeah. um, Minkiewicz was there like uh, right in my early time. And then they traded him to Boston. I remember they traded him to Boston when Boston was at the Metrodome. And he literally just, he, I remember we did the interview of him being traded in the middle of the, the hallway between the two clubhouses. <laughs> and yeah. So he packed up um, his stuff and walked over and on his way over, you're like, Hey, by the way, I got a couple questions for you. <laughs> yeah. Literally like all the pack, the, you know, the pack of journalists nice. caught up to him there. And then he went on and put on the different uniform. Um, wow. yeah, the twins, the pitching, it was, you know, it's interesting to think back about where baseball was at the time. It was the, the A's were obviously there, the golden child for that small market, but the twins then were right there, you know, uh, you know, kind of on their heels of you know how to make it work and how to succeed as a small market um tight budget uh organization and terry ryan was the main general manager at the time and it, you know it's it's just kind of interesting to think back as terry ryan was a baseball guy he wasn't a numbers guy there's still i think he's a scout maybe for the phillies now mm-hmm. um but you know it wasn't sabermetrics you know wasn't a widespread thing in baseball at the time or at least certainly embraced by the organizations themselves Right. Um, you know, there certainly were organizations, that, you know, the A's obviously, but the twins weren't, they, they were more based on scouting. You had Wayne Krisky, who was known as a great scout who came on, obviously to, he was, he was an assistant general manager, um, with the twins and I was covering them. And, you know, so all these guys like with the twins and Billy Smith, they were all known as great scouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Krivsky comes here and it doesn't work out. Uh, you know, at least it doesn't work out on the surface but if you look at the players that uh you know he that came in under him certainly a lot of those guys went on to succeed and it's you know it's too bad like you know i know we live in a world of instant what have you done for me lately in sports and politics and whatever but i think if he would have been given a little more time shoot to this day i mean maybe not to this day but he would have been the general manager i think for a much longer period than he was right and it's funny looking at the timing, like you mentioned, coming back to Cincinnati in 2007. I know I couldn't help but notice, and I don't know if maybe you were instrumental in this move or not, but at that same time, that's when Kyle Loesch went from Minnesota to the Reds. So I don't know if maybe you <laughs> had a hand in that. Well, <laughs> did somebody – did you do your homework on that? Because Kyle Loesch and I, uh, if there's anyone that I didn't get along with, it was Kyle Loesch. And oh, here's, no. here's a funny story. <laughs> Here's a funny story. So Kyle Loesch was really, uh, you know, he was, I remember someone saying, another reporter said this, said Kyle Loesch had a million dollar arm and a 10 cent head. And I, that wasn't me that said that. Um, <laughs> but you know, Kyle Loesch had a temper and, but he had a lot of talent, but mm-hmm. some teams had given up on him. Um, I think the Cubs, he originally came up with the Cubs, I believe, or the twins. I don't remember how they got him, but, you know, him and Gardenhire butted heads. Uh, you know, he's, he, you know, Gardy was, I think Gardy, uh, you know, had his favorites. Um, 
I think Gardy saw him as a guy who had crazy talent, but he wasn't open maybe at times to the instruction and the coaching. And so there was always that friction there. And so Kyle Loesch comes out, it gets pulled from him. He's getting just teed up. And I don't remember what season this was, but I remember certainly what happened afterward. He gets teed up and he gets sent, you know, he's gone. He gets, you know, early in the game and he gets sent to the showers. Well, we come up to the, after the game, come up to the clubhouse and there's this huge dent in, uh, and I, in, in the, in the manager's door and in, in the Mets old Metrodome clubhouse, you walk right in and then right as you walk in, uh, this down this little narrow hallway uh, to the clubhouse, right on the right is the manager's office. And then if you go up a little bit to the left was the, the clubhouse. And so the manager has a huge dent uh, in his, which was done ultimately we found out, which was done by a bat by Kyle Loesch after he was taken out of the game. Wow. Um, I, I believe that I remember, I think the general manager, Terry Ryan said, they would be taking out the cost of the door out of his paycheck. Um, <laughs> I think that was his punishment. Um, but Kyle Loesch, uh, he was a big union guy and I've been critical of unions. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, he had become like kind of a problem child for the organization. And I remember I wrote a, we, it was back in the day of like you would have these Sunday, you'd have all this big stuff to do for a Sunday paper. And so one of the things we did is we did this. We had another baseball writer, Gordon Whitmire, who I can't even believe I haven't mentioned yet, who's now the Cubs beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, certainly one of my mentors. Um, he taught me a lot, one of which, here's a line he taught me. Uh, you know, I have a tendency to overthink things and to freak out and get writer's block. And his thing was always to be like, an old baseball ad is he'd be like, Hey, trust your stuff. You got the stuff, you know, you, you got the talent, you got the, you, you know, you got the sources, you got the information, just relax and trust your stuff. So that was always a line I remember from Gordon, but Gordon and I would do this point counterpoint column where we would just pick a topic or a player or something that was going on in baseball. And we would just argue it in the paper and Gordon would say his piece. And then I would say mine, we'd always get together at like a coffee shop every I think we would do it like every Thursday and uh and then then the other thing I would also write an email like column or an email mailbag uh for the Sunday and so someone asks me something about Kyle Loesch and I think he he was the union rep for the team and so I took a swipe at the union and I I'm paraphrasing or at, at Loesch I said you know the union you know this is you know, the union um, uh, rewards players like Kyle Loesch and the Kyle Loesch was doing terribly. And yet he still, you know, there's guaranteed contracts and, you know, he had a huge contract and it was something along those lines. And that was the, my response. And so I go into the clubhouse the next day or the next time we were there, whatever, maybe they were off that Monday Mm -hmm. and he's singing, he's literally singing what I had written about him in that to me as I walk by, like not to me, but I'm literally, I walk by and I don't say anything to him, but I hear him singing the words I had written and, and he put some tune to it. <laughs> and I turned to him and I say, Hey man, like, you know, if, if, if you got it, if you got it. And I was actually, I was very professional and calm about it. And I didn't always handle things like this very well. 
but this instance I did and I turned to him, I said, Hey, like, you know, if there's something, you know, you don't like that I write, uh, you don't, whatever I said or whatever, you know, let's, you know, let's get off to the side and we'll talk about it and hash it out, whatever. You can, I'll let you, you can yell at me, whatever, you know, we can work it out. And he wasn't interested in doing that. So I just sure. walked away and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that was, it was a very, very strained relationship with him for the remainder of both of our time, uh, and, uh, in, in Minnesota, I guess, because oh I God. think he, what he, he came to the Reds, right? Yeah, I, it's funny because I was just looking it up, and I, I remember him, and it's it's almost as if he is like an obscure former Red now. Shout out to my buddy yeah. at Obscure X Reds on Twitter, but because he he only last he didn't even last a full season. Like he came halfway through 2006, and then halfway through 2007, they traded him to Philadelphia for Matt Maloney. Yes, that's right. He went to Philadelphia. Yep. And That's then right, after, he was there. He was yeah. there. Oh four in Minnesota. Oh five, and then they shipped him off in oh six. Yeah. So. And then the funny and uh, to add the to the whole story of him kind of being a jerk, he ends up as a St. Louis Cardinal, and you know, I mean, when you go <laughs> yeah, to St. Right. Louis, so. <laughs> but, uh, but it was weird because like see all these teams like they saw his talent, but he just he, he couldn't like he couldn't turn he couldn't turn that corner. And you know, and he overanalyzed everything, and but you know, he had the, he had the talent, he had the arm to you know really be great. Um, but his attitude, um, you know, and it, it just didn't it didn't mesh up with it, and he never really allowed himself to you know flourish or whatever. But he made a lot of money. He made a lot of money. Scott Boris was his agent, oh, and. Uh, yep. So yeah, he uh, made a lot of money for being there, a mediocre pitcher. Dude, I I appreciate you talking so much. We've gone way over what I asked you, <laughs> what I yeah, asked yeah, you to no, talk, and great. Um, I'll let you get back to it. But I appreciate having you on. I'm hoping to have you on again uh, sometime soon. Like uh, like we said, you can find his work at the Enquirer um, on Cincinnati.com. You check out That's So Cincinnati podcast. He looks at local politics and just everything that's going on. He also kind of looks at a bunch of different stuff there. I love that podcast. Um, and then also uh, follow him on Twitter. It's just at Jason Williams, right? It's at, at, at J Williams Cincy with a Y. J Williams Cincy, C I N C Y. See, it's good I asked you. I would have given everybody the wrong Twitter handle. Anyway, <laughs> dude, thanks so much yeah. for being on, Jason. We'll have you again thanks. soon. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Bye-bye. That'll do it for us here this week on the Locked on Reds podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you've missed any of the episodes, make sure to go back and check those out. I have a lot of good stuff here these last past few weeks. I know with the quarantine and safe in place and all that different stuff, it's been kind of weird. but. I've got all kind of good stuff coming next week as well. We're going to talk about some good red teams of the past, continuing our uh, theme, going back, looking at some of the best seasons in Reds history. And I'm working on a thought. It's kind of a crazy thought, but you know what? Whatever. I'm going to get more into it. I don't, I don't have it all formed just yet. It's like 10% of a thought right now, but I'm going to present it to you next week and you're not going to want to miss it. Best way. To not miss any episodes, subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds. 
and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. But for now, hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. This is the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I'll see you then. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.